Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack, and this is the first ever Ask Lindsay episode of the podcast where I give you A's to your cues about any inquiry, um, tarot-related, magic-related, witch-related, mindfulness-related, trauma-related. I am here for you to answer questions, and I'm going to answer about 11 today. And we'll see if that's a good number (laughs) in the future. Um, The questions were incredible. Uh, I want to just say that if you're, I got hundreds of questions literally and uh, just chose to pick. um, I've, I've tried to segment them. So if your question did not get chosen, that doesn't mean it won't get chosen. Um, It really literally might mean that it will get because uh, I'm going to do one of these every month, eventually it will get answered. Um, the only way that I wouldn't answer a question is if it um, sort of was slightly more specific or a little bit more vague. I got a couple of more vague questions and that's not a problem, but it just might not serve the community to um, kind of guess at what you were asking. So um, that's not a problem again, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just so excited to serve everybody. I also wanted to say that I got, and I have been getting a lot of um, beautiful submissions from a lot of you who um, like courageously would like to be considered to be uh, a guest on the podcast as an embodiment guest. And I was surprised that we got so many. And I would just say like, um, I'm not, we, Okay. (laughs) So first of all, thank you to those of you who sent emails in. If you've been thinking about sending an email to me, like, oh my God, I really feel like I am the embodiment or I know someone who is the embodiment of one of these cards. Like I need my voice to be heard. I'm here to receive that. And I'm not suggesting that you send me emails because I get a lot of them. But if you really feel that you need to share yourself in that way or someone else, um, I'm here for it. You may not hear directly from me in response. You might hear from Iris, who's my um, beautiful associate and support in my business. Um, But uh, I understand that. And it's beautiful. And by the way, like there have been wonderful, every single person who's written me um, has been beautiful and has offered so much of themselves or someone else. And I just want to kind of publicly state that while that isn't necessarily something that we're looking for, it is an honor to receive it. And just so you know, you may not hear from me, you may not hear from us, but of course, like the consideration is always, it's always an open door. So just know that we have guests pretty stacked out in terms of the coming year, but um, I just wanted to kind of publicly say thank you for everyone who sent in your information to us. It was an honor to hear from you and to hear of your connections and your gifts. It's it's beautiful, and I really hope that you you will love, everyone will love who we have on in the coming year. Um, just a couple of housekeeping things before Ask Lindsay. <clears throat> I have a brand new offering and it's called The Threshold. And I am so excited to share it with you. I released it on Tuesday and like the response has been kind of beyond anything I've ever done. Not just the number of people who feel drawn to it, but the feedback and um, and my feeling about the offering, which is 
not to say that I don't feel good about my offerings, but a lot of the time I feel a little nervous. I feel a little shaky. This flowed out of me with so much um, alignment and power and usefulness and richness. And it just really is something I'm so proud of. Um, the threshold is a journey into 2019 and it's an online offering that I have. It's up, doors are open, enrollment is open. It's available to download immediately. That is a helpful ritualization to take you from this year to next year. And in it, we talk about really in depth what 2018 was all about, what 2019 was about. And um, there is a 90-minute audio lesson from me on uh, the years and kind of what they represent as well as specifics. Um, Each year, 2018 and 2019 are spoken about through the lens of the tarot cards that ruled the year, the planets that ruled the year, the signs, and even the body systems. Because if we're talking about a moon year, which we were in in 2018 because it was a high priestess year, we're going to talk about the parts of the body that the moon rules, kind of the energy of them. So it's through a couple of really unique perspectives that you know, I'm, I'm excited by. And there's a huge download on the year ahead and kind of how to work with the idea of Empress energy and, uh, hangman energy and what that means. So there's a 90 minute audio lesson. That's very informative. And I think a very beautiful way to walk into the new year with a lot of clarity and, um, empowerment. And there's a 35 minute guided meditation to meet your inner high priestess and empress, which I think is pretty potent. If I do say so myself, I really do. While I was doing it, I was like, oh damn, like I'm being taken away. And there's a really beautiful in-depth PDF to accompany the threshold with a little bit about thresholds, a little bit about a, a mini astrological overview of the year a mini guide to every month in 2019. Like I went through and wrote the energetics, the card that the card that the month is ruled by, um, as well as how to determine your own personal year and included a brand new year ahead spread for your wild soul. That's like 16 cards long that, um, I've never offered before, but it's the one I do for myself every year because it's not contingent on, outcome in quite the same way that other year head spreads are. Long story short, I'm just really proud of this baby. And I think it's a useful baby and a beautiful baby and it's 33 bucks. And I'm so honored to share it with all of you. It's also a really great gift. If you're looking to gift someone something, um, I'm proud of it because I think it really is helpful. It's not just, um, well, I think all my offerings are helpful, but I, really like this one. <clears throat> so if you're interested, the link is on the show notes and you can also go to my website, lindsaymack.com. And if you click on, I'm not sure what my, if you click on Soltero School, you'll see online classes and workshops and the threshold is right there. So I'm so pumped for, uh, the threshold and, um, for that concept. And it's also a big part of my interview next week with my guests to, I didn't plan that, but it, it is a beautiful dovetail into um, the idea of threshold. So there's that. Um, and yeah, and that's beautiful. Um, I also wanted to share, I'm not sure if I did that before, but w- this podcast is on Spotify now. So that means that you can 
subscribe to us on Spotify, which helps people find the podcast. So if you feel inclined, you can also download the whole thing and take it with you on the go. It's nice to have. Um, and I have two kind of announcements after Ask Lindsay about two things that I love. Um, a practitioner that I highly recommend to anyone looking for virtual psychotherapy um, from the queer perspective, Um, a former mentee of mine who is just um, completely transforming their practice and has so much to offer and I'm very excited and uh, a calendar for the year ahead. So stay tuned after the Ask Lindsay's and um, I'm excited to share those with you. Okay, on to cues. Let's pull these bad boys up. Okay. So again, these questions were amazing and I'm so grateful to be able to answer them and hopefully I can be as succinct as possible. So I'm going to start with the first one. Haley writes, hi, Lindsay. Hello, Haley. What is your strategy for interpreting reverse court cards? So Haley, my strategy for reversing is um, my official position (laughs) on on any reversal is that it is a shift in the flavor of the initial uh, of the right side up meaning. So meaning that I believe that each card is completely pure and whole and delicious and gorgeous and holy in and of itself. There's really no kind of shitty card. And there's a lot of questions about like, how do you work with like cards that suck? And I definitely want to bring light to that. Um, but any card is, uh, you know, the, I mean, I work with food metaphor a lot cause it works and everyone knows food and it's delicious, but it's, you know, like a beautifully like roasted potato or a beautiful roast chicken, you know, it depends on what you eat and what you consume. Like each card is just a beautifully roasted piece of delicious food. And the reversal is not a shitty burned roast, whatever. It's a roast with barbecue sauce on it. It's you know, an old bay piece of corn instead of a regular piece of corn. It changes the flavor, but the core remains the same. So reversed court cards for me are the same as anything else. It really depends on the card, but I do interpret them the same way as I do most things, which is, and I, I I feel like I'm generalizing to an extraordinary degree here, but if I had to generalize, I would say that when we get something reversed, usually there's a core of fear somewhere. We're afraid, and that's not always true, but in general, we are afraid that something isn't going to be okay. We're not okay. We can't do it. We don't feel like we have enough space to fully embody. And because the core cards to me are enormously advanced master energies around uh, our higher self, aspects of the higher self, Um, and put together these 16 cards really make up a complete aura in my work and in my uh, belief. Um, When we get them reversed, it's like a place that we're guided to look so that we can become a little bit more whole and complete within ourselves, or that we need a little love and nurturance on. Like if we were to get King of Swords reversed to is really the divine communicator of the court cards, the being that advises us that we have something to say that could really shift, change, transform uh, 
our lives and the lives of other people, if we get that reversed, you know, are we afraid to speak? Are we afraid to be judged for what we want to say? Are we afraid that the person won't hear us or that we won't? Well, you know, those are things not to stop us, but it is like getting gas for your car before a long road trip. It's it's part of the rhythm of life. Like we do want to stop and look at that and go, oh, wow, you know, there is a part of me that is frightened to speak because of like the way I was raised or because of, the, you know, ancestral race, racial trauma that I have that like I literally remember my ancestors getting like beat to death because they were speaking like that shit is real. And King of Swords will speak to that when reversed because we need to be able to <clears throat> not clean it up in a way like get rid of it, but we need to be able to honor that because again, like the whole point of this life isn't for everything to be like flowing and comfortable, although that's really fucking great. It's to do the work and the work can sometimes be uncomfortable, but the journey of the reversals is not a problem. It's actually part of the, of the flavoring of the richness of our intimacy with these cards and ourselves. So I would say I would interpret the courts reversed in that way too. Brennan says, hi, Lindsay, how do you parse through the application of tougher meanings when you read for yourself? I'm a very anxious and Oh, I am very anxious and spiral when I see and feel the tougher cards. My instinct is to take the harshest reading and slap myself across the face with it. How do you understand what's coming up? How do you parse the real meaning and not just see the eight of swords and think the darkness is here for you? Your new life at, is as a cave-dwelling gremlin who feeds on anxiety. No soul moisturizer for you, troll. So first of all, a uh, hundred on the question. Amazing. Okay. <clears throat> It's a wonderful question. So there I'm hearing you reading from a perspective that's not wrong, but is very much informed by like the brain's bullshit. And again, not wrong, not a problem, not something to shame ourselves over. It just is. We tend to have kind of two voices in the head, right? We have kind of, and that's like the two dual radio stations that we have access to at any given moment. It's like the brain who tends to want to see everything from the shitty side and, um, or the more protective side or the more conservative side and the soul that really is connected to the idea of evolution and love and compassion and all that stuff. So I will say this, that it takes time to practice. You have to actually practice moving through the brain interpretation into the other side. It's like literally breaking through a membrane and coming into the other side to what's possible. So one of the ways that we can do that is by remembering the tarot is for us, not to us. And this isn't just some platitude. Look at life. Life may not feel good all of the time. It may certainly not feel fair. It may be a hard journey for some of us really hard. And it might be hard in moments. Life can be very difficult. Um, and yet, if we take it out of the realm of opinion about how it should be a certain way, and we really look at the fabric of life from the furthest possible vision, we see that, you know, and I've talked about this before, the one thread that binds every living being together, every human, every plant, like everything, on this planet together is evolution. That we start from one space and we become something else. And usually, I mean, pretty much the key ingredient 
is discomfort in evolution because no part of the brain wants to evolve really. The brain kind of really wants us to stay the same. It wants us, wants us to stay comfortable in the same uh, range of movement and of thought pattern and of tone that we're used to. And the soul just wants to fly. And that's the divine tension that we're in, right? It's like the caterpillar, like knowing it has to build a chrysalis and get in there and wait in there. And then when it emerges, it's a fucking butterfly. That is, I mean, you could say it's evolution, whatever. That's more soul evolution. And of course, the propagation of the species, the continuation of the evolutionary cycle, of course. But what caused this, the creature in the sea to literally come out, walk out on land? That's all evolution. The changing of like the size and shape of beaks on some animals because um, the food source changed, because the weather changed, because the atmosphere changed, whatever. That's evolution. And really, it's about the sustenance and the continuation of life. So when we remember that discomfort is a part of it um, and that the key to evolution is always growth, it's always changing to become more adaptive and more flexible in our circumstances through anything. We remember life happens for us, not to us even though it doesn't feel that way a lot of the time. <laughs> but if you really look at it, life wants to promote and continue and keep on moving us toward more life. It wants to help us to keep growing, period. That's its function. We may make other choices that feel very empowered for us about not living or ending our lives or living in a certain way, and that's okay. But if we really look at the drumbeat of this earth, this planet, it's here to help support life through anything. We see flowers growing up through concrete all the time. Life finds a way. So the tarot cannot be any different than life. It can't be different. It has to match life, which is why tarot is not gendered at its core, because it doesn't match life. It's also why the lovers is not about love, because not everybody dates. Um, there is a core essence to every card and the function of tarot that does have a place for everyone. So on to your question, how you can begin to um, parse through the application of tougher meanings for yourself is by starting with the brain's definition. And I'll bet you that story about, um, you know, what you shared, like your new life is a cave dwelling gremlin who feeds on anxiety. That's the first story. That's not where we stop. So then we can move through that. And really just look at what we're seeing. We can say, okay, you know, that's there. That That is an option. You could be a cave-dwelling gremlin, and that's maybe that could be a good life. That's interesting. But also, I know in me that eights are transformation cards. If we tip them to their side, their infinity loops, eights in the tarot always mean that we're going to go into a card one way and come out of it another way. I also know that swords have to do with brain chemistry and mastering it. So I also know that probably my brain is going to take me on a little bit of a ride with all the sword cards because that's the point of the sword cards to kind of go on the full spectrum ride so that we get to the end of the ride and we go, okay, great. Well, that's the feeling. That's the initial experience. Let me bring inquiry to that. Is that true? Is that really something that is for me? Or is it more like to me? 
And if we ever start talking about a card like this happening to me, we know we have to redirect. And it can completely transform our lives, much less our practice, to start thinking, what is this card bringing for me? What's the gift? And I'll tell you a gift with Eight of Swords. If we really look at the Eight of Swords, let's just take the Rider Waite, the Smith Rider Waite, because I'm not sure what deck you're working with. But if we look at the Smith Rider Waite, this uh, archetype, this woman, is blindfolded and bound, and there are eight swords around her, but she actually isn't trapped. The swords are not blocking her walk forward, and her feet are also not bound. She's not actually stuck. She just thinks she is because she can't see. And there is a very subtle key to the card if you look at the Smith Rider weight that water is seeping through the ground, which means that the tide is rolling in and the tide is rising. So there is a part of this card that can very often be like, we have to figure out how to get the fuck out of here fast. Like there's this perception that we have to hurry and figure out how to get out of whatever we're in. But the truth is we're completely free. We just can't see it. So the idea of Eight of Swords is it wants to catch you. Um, not wants to, but mm, I don't know any other way to put it. It tends to catch us in you're fucking trapped, you're done, you're dead, you're caught, you're riddled with anxiety. This is it. But the actual work that we're doing, it's all like a red herring to keep us from taking the blindfold off and seeing like, oh, you're just, you're just keeping me believing that I'm trapped because of your abusive verbalization. Like, you don't want me to reach out for more support because if I'm riddled with worry brain, you'll have control over me. I won't do my soul work. I won't expand. I won't believe life is for me. I'll stay in this kind of comfortable realm of existence because that's really good for you because you won't have, you will still have control. You'll still be able to keep me caught, not through ropes, but through fear and through beratement. So that's where we get to bring the love to. We get to say, okay, brain, thank you so much for that. You're right. I could be riddled with anxiety forever, but probably what could also be true, or maybe even truer, is that this card is pointing me toward a key. It's letting me know, it's flagging me down and letting me know you're actually already free. You're good. And it may not feel good, but what are you trying to bash your way out of? What locked doors are you trying to bash your way out of when the window is open? I'll bet you the woman in that card is freaking out, trying to figure out how to, you know, take her ropes down, how to get out of there when she could just walk forward. So, so Eight of Swords is really a card that says freedom and attainment of that is right here. What are the hoops your brain is making you jump through? Because it doesn't want you to see it. It doesn't want you to taste it. That is the work we do in Eight of Swords. And that's the work I do with the kind of tarot I teach. And it's only because, like, I've done that work for myself. And I've gone through, you know, where, where, what is the brain story? Okay, when I come out of the other side, what's the truth here? That's how we begin to do it. But it's not like you immediately get there. I still have to do that work all the time. Any reader who tells you that they don't is lying to you. There's no automatic place that you get to where you're just like, oh my God, the devil, great. I mean, I appreciate the devil. I know what it's doing, but I don't like how I feel when I'm in it. And I'm allowed to have that. And I always go through an initial experience of needing to go a full circle from brain to soul 
And that's part of how we do it. I'm taking a water break. So I hope that helped. Fern Fox says, how do you determine what the cards of the year are? I've heard you mention that 2018 is a high priestess justice year. In the December medicine episode, you mentioned that 2019 is a hangman empress year. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You're not wrong. Are these pulled or is there a progression cycle I'm missing? There is a progression cycle. It's because you add up each individual digit of that year. So if you add up two plus zero plus one plus eight, 2018, you get 11 and that's justice. And if you add up one plus one, you get two and you do the same thing with 2019 and you'll get 12 and three. Hema asks, dear Lindsay, what are some cards that show up frequently during the Saturn return? Can you share a little about your experience at that time and how your cards showed up? I know you've talked a lot about your experience working through trauma and PTSD in your late 20s, but I'm wondering what some major surprises in terms of the tarot were at that time, given the transit shifts from a person, uh, a person, given the transit shifts, a person from childhood to adulthood. Hema, well, first of all, I will say, <clears throat> if anyone wants to hear about my hellacious Saturn return, you can listen to my interview with Mystical Mandrake Root, which was one of the first I ever did, um, where I talk a lot about Saturn return. But I'm going to tell you all something. Saturn return was the thing that made me wake up to using the tarot in this way. I was not using the tarot like this when I was in my Saturn return. I wanted to be an actor. I was completely unaware that I was an intuitive I was friends with people who were assholes to me. I was still in regular contact with my family and the abusers in my family. And although I'd been working with the tarot, like reading it for years, I didn't understand that it was in any way a part of my journey like this. So I can recall, because the tarot's always kind of been in my life, the cards that were coming up for me, but I wasn't working with it in this way. When I crossed the Saturn return threshold was about 30, was when I was 30 years old. And <clears throat> it was around uh, everything clustered together. The build up to my Saturn return was like all of the things I just mentioned being completely, horribly, traumatically confronted in me. Like, I have to cut off from my family. I have to cut off from this abuser. I have to stop these friendships. I have to get out of a wellness practice. I started with someone who could not be in my life anymore, a friend that just couldn't happen. I was getting married. I didn't understand I was an intuitive. I assumed my trauma meant that I would not live my life and I didn't know how to heal it. I didn't know where to, I just didn't get it. I didn't know. I certainly didn't know that tarot would come into my life and be all that it is and all that it's become. The the tool to actually birth me out of the time. So I just want to say that like during my Saturn return, I just didn't, I didn't know that any of these things were in me. And that was actually when I realized it all. My Saturn's in Scorpio in my third house. So it's um hard, you know, and it affected a lot of my mental stuff. And, um, not everyone's Saturn return has to be that horrible. So I just really want to name that mine was really hard. Cause I was very off base. It was also very off base. Cause I was, um, very self-abusive and had problems with hitting and violence, even in myself. And, um, like was completely, uh, an alcoholic and, you know, like, um, was, it, there were a lot of things going on that got me to there, uh, that got me there. But the two cards that I do remember, uh, very distinct, the three cards that I remember very distinctly during my Saturn return 
uh, a little before and definitely after, uh, in the aftermath of my Saturn return on uh, the year between 30 and 31, were um, the Hierophant, the Tower, and the Star. The Tower, for obvious reasons, because my Saturn return was 100% Tower, like ripping the ground, ripping the whole structure right out of the ground, <laughs> like a tooth coming out of someone's gum. And uh, the star, because there was a really important period of my life, about a year, where I needed to just be like on medication, healing, not doing too, too much, gently moving into reading tarot, which felt super good and kind of entered into my life in a way that only spirit could have done. And the Hierophant, which taught me that the Hierophant has to do with um, sometimes breaking down family systems where you're taught to just do something and you don't question it. And I was always taught in my family, you got to connect with your mom. You got to keep a connection with your mom. She needs you. And she was an abuser and not a very nice abuser. Like, well, actually, <laughs> abusers can be nice. My mom is, uh, you know, was an abusive parent and was an, an asshole for most of my life and is hard to, for most people to get along with. So, um, it wasn't even like there were good moments. It was just hard every step. And my mother is also a disabled person. So it was, you know, there's a lot of, um, caretaking that had to be done that felt like an enormous debt that was uh, just draining more and more and more out of me. And the Hierophant is an invitation to undo old beliefs. So the Hierophant came up a lot and was a great teacher for me at that time uh, and taught me what it could be. Um, so yeah, that that was like the structure of my Saturn return, which makes sense because, um, you know, again, I have so much in Scorpio, I'm an Aries and a lot of that Mars energy was a big part of everything. So, yeah, I think you can just track it um, depending on what you pull, what you get. Um, Jeff Hinshaw also has like, I mean, he's the best in every direction, but he also has a really wonderful uh, formula for Saturn return readings where you can pull out the world card, which is ruled by Saturn. And you can pull out the card that your Saturn is ruled by. So for me, that would be Scorpio, so death. And then you can pull out the planet that rules your uh, sign. So for me, again, that would be Mars and Pluto. So I would pull out um, the tower and judgment. And then you would pull out a card for the house that it's in. So mine was third house. I got lovers. Um, and then, uh, you can look at that and just be like, whoa, like this is my Saturn return in tarot embodied. And it's a great way to kind of just see the visuals of how it's going to feel, which is, uh, you know, intense, but wonderful. So hopefully that helps. Anonymous asks, I have a long history with the tarot and worked as a reader for several years. In 2008, I also began my transition from male to female, and shortly thereafter began a long history of trauma, sexual violence, prejudice, and marginalization. Like yourself, I now live with trauma and have a complex trauma diagnosis. While I'm still heavily intuitive and channel healing energy when needed, I now feel a strong aversion to using my tarot. It almost feels like the deck itself is telling me not yet not in a hostile way, but from a place of guidance, yet it definitely doesn't want to be used at this time. Do you have any thoughts on this aversion and how to overcome it? 
I do sense that in part I now fear becoming vulnerable by offering readings. My trauma history has made me fearful of new connections. But as I write this to you, I feel strongly in my ability to overcome that fear. I've also used Terry Donaldson's gender-neutral dragon deck for 20 years. I'm wondering if a new deck may lift the aversion. Many blessings and thanks for sharing your light with all of us. Oh, Anonymous, I love you. Thank you for this question. What an honor to get to hopefully bring some clarity to it. Um, I totally get what you're saying. And and I agree that I, I, not agree, but honoring the fact that giving readings, which are an immensely vulnerable experience for the reader as well as the client, um, the feeling that you would not be available to do that a little bit or that you are having an aversion to doing it, understandable, acceptable, and appropriate. It is very vulnerable. Um, So that experience of the not yet I do think might be a high intuition in that. I think that there may be uh, that that this is a time for you where um, healing and being available to feeling safe again, there might be space for you um, where you may have to just simply wait until you do feel ready. Um, you probably already do this and apologies if this is just, uh, like you're doing it already, but something in me is wanting to affirm you around all of this. And I do affirm you, but also I think you may be onto something with the new deck. I don't know why, but I agree that I think that there is a need now for this new instrument to come into your hands. Um, and it may be that you've just been experiencing this call um, that is important for you to reach out to take something. My advice to you um, would be that you really honor the need for space until you feel safe and that when you start to consider giving readings again, that you consider how would this feel safest to me? Who do I want to serve? What do I want to be explicit about with myself? What are my boundaries? Who do I not want to serve actively? And are in-person readings appropriate for me and my body at this time? Is it better for me to do distance readings? If so, does the camera need to be off for me? I have to do that. My channel works a little better that way anyway. Um, I just don't like staring at a screen while I do readings. Do you prefer to do phone? Do you prefer to do email readings or maybe even letters? You know, I think you don't have to not be a reader right now, although you can not be a reader if you desire it. And it sounds like your body and your nervous system are asking for some space and time from the practice, but don't lose heart because once you start to um, continue to um, heal and experience the sense of, um, some more foundation under your feet, you get to call the shots about how you read, how you read before is probably not how your body and your soul want to read now. Maybe you want to serve completely different people. Maybe your boundaries and your verbalization on your website need to be really clear about who is not, who you are not available to serve. Not even like pointing out this person, that person, but just saying, you know, if anyone who books me is not ready to be doing their work, you know, whatever, I'm not the reader for you. And you're allowed to say that around anything because it's your practice. Um, 
And I would say overcoming it, my uh, hunch is that your body just needs more safety measures in place, which can be done. It just takes a little time to key into the body and ask it, um, ask them, you know, sweet body who has, who is so brave and miraculous and has undergone so much and has, in spite of all odds, let me know how it desires to walk through this world, the vessel that I exist in, in this lifetime. How do you desire to be honored and nourished as a reader? And I think if you can begin there, it will really help because I don't get that it's something to overcome. I get that you're starting again in a different way and that this is kind of like a rebirth of your practice. Um, and just going real slow. And I would also say, you know, if you can afford it and if you are able to allow this into your life, <clears throat> sources of support and space holding so that when and if you go into practice again, even lightly, and some big trauma comes up about like, what if this person doesn't feel safe for me? What if I don't feel safe? You know, whatever. You have someone to process that with so that you feel heard and seen. You know, I think that that's also really important. And I'm just sending you all the love on your journey because I do have a feeling that you're going to step into readership again, but it might just be time for you to um, read for yourself. And it may also be time for you to call in another deck. And it may also be time for you to connect with your body and say, body, how would you like to be serving people? Because that is really important. Thank you for asking this question. Anna asks, how do you recommend dealing with getting a quote outcome card in which it's not positive in a reading? Can it refer to an aspect of the outcome or a view of it or maybe just a possible outcome? How could I put it into perspective? Yeah, I mean, nobody loves getting the three of swords in the outcome card. <laughs> no one loves it. Um, I think you have to start with shifting your view on positive versus negative. All cards bring medicine. Whether or not they sting or they're sweet, they do bring something. It's really helpful to look at tarot cards as being a kind of mirror to herbs. You know, nettle stings, but it's like the breast milk of the planet. And even the stings help with arthritis and they help with pain. So while it might be, quote, a sting, it's still bringing goodness and medicine. So being open to that goodness and medicine is part of how we can be with those meanings. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't work so much with outcome in the traditional sense anymore. Um, and I agree with you. It's tricky no matter what you do with outcome. Um, but the way that it, it's good to look at it is like, it's just, uh, the end of that particular cycle as represented by the reading. So it could be that the cycle ends and, you know, you walk forward, it could be, you know, whatever it might be. So I think that it's important to give yourself the space to be able to say, okay, I did this whole reading and the reading ends in three of swords. Um, so even though this reading has been really quote, like bright, and there've been a lot of expansive cards, three of swords is continuing that expansion by reminding me that even if things do get snagged and I do get upset and I do get my heart pierced in some way that I can always come back to the practice of removing the swords and tending to the heart. I can always step off the merry-go-round and it's reminding me that no matter what happens, the heart is the most important thing. So it's just a different way of contextualizing the medicine and how it's coming up. 
Nina says, I'm new to spiritual pursuits and I'm very interested in developing my intuition and having a relationship with my guides. What advice can you give on how to initiate a relationship with your guides while making sure to keep yourself safe from any harmful entities? So, uh, I love this, Nina. Um, if you say divine guides of light or divine guides, cause light is weird, <clears throat> but divine guides, I desire to foster, deepen, and enrich my relationship with you. I desire to hear you, see you, to have you intercede in my life from my highest and best. I desire to begin to deepen my connection with you, to be guided by you actively in real time, and to go on the journey that will uh, create deeper intimacy between you and I in my life. If you do that, and if you say that, you're going to deepen your relationship with them because they're right there, ever present, ever loving. All you need to do is to start asking and then to notice and to keep asking, how do your guides communicate with you? It is a process. You have to think of guides and your relationship with them as literally a, a romantic relationship and one in which you cannot be rejected. So think of like, literally the most tender, loving, unconditional, like the partner for you. You cannot be rejected by your guides, but you do have to move into understanding, well, what's my love language with my guides? How do I communicate? How do they communicate with me? Is there a through line, a thread? Is there something in my family line? Do I come from intuitives? Is there some way that guides show up for me? Um, do I hear them? Do I see them? Is it a knowing? Is it, you know, all three? Is it more? You know, is it a smell thing? Is it a taste thing? You know, whatever. Um, a sight thing, you know, whatever it might be. It's, it's beautiful and it's perfect. Um, beginning a relationship with your guides can be the most mundane thing in a world in the world because you come with the package deal of having a connection to them. It's really just in saying that you desire to foster that connection. You want them to be a part of your everyday life because it's a free will universe. And uh, unless, you know, we, and even if some of us come into the world, like being completely uh, flooded with seeing dead people, seeing, you know, whatever, if we say, I don't want to see this anymore, they'll stop. And truly, it might cause other problems, but it will stop. And sometimes it doesn't. So it's yours to take. You just have to ask for it and continue to ask for it and continue to notice and to continue to show up for the relationship. And if you're saying uh, you don't need to keep yourself safe from harmful entities, you just need to be clear about your boundaries, meaning that if you're calling in your guides um, and you desire to receive spiritual guidance and life guidance for your highest and best, that mantra, that initiatory uh, statement keeps out anything that's not of highest and best, period. And speaking as somebody who does occasionally have a leak somewhere where I'm getting something from a guide who isn't of, <clears throat> you know, highest or isn't of the light, if we want to use that kind of terminology, or isn't, um, or like a ghost or something that's really not creating a lot of positive vibes <laughs> and not even positive because guides are fucking harsh. And anyone who says different, like they're, they can be really harsh as fuck. Um, not mean, but just, uh, they're not always like angels. Sometimes it's very harsh and sometimes they even yell, which is 
crazy, but it's true. Um, so if we sense that energy of, um, you know, wanting, desiring for anything we get in our channel to be in highest and best, we have to state that we have to build that fence. We have to post the property. And if you're doing that, it will keep you quote safe from any energy that doesn't have your highest and best in mind. But if you do get the sense that you're talking to something or communicating with somebody or something around you that's not in alignment, all you need to do out loud is say, get out of here and don't come back. Anything that's not of highest, just be gone. Bye. And they have to go. You, know, you have to say, don't come back, but they have to obey you. They really do. It's a free will universe. So they got to go. Rachel says, so simple, but I'm just getting into experimenting with a deck. About a month and I spilled water on my deck and some cards are warped. I know which cards they are and stay away from choosing them or feel like they come up artificially because of the warp. Should I just get a new deck? I mean, you can get a new deck, Rachel, but it could be that the warp is important and it could be that your relationship with them literally showing up in your deck differently could be important. So I think there is something to be said for that. Um, I'm not sure, although I think there is a significance to what you're saying. <laughs> uh, one uh, piece of advice that I would give you is if you place something very heavy on your deck, like I'm talking like, you know, 80 pounds, like something very heavy and you keep it there, it should flatten the deck to the point where you might feel the difference in the deck texture, but not necessarily like, you know, and you could also just put water on your whole deck. So I think that there's ways around it, but uh, you could get a new deck if that's what you desire, but I don't think you have to. I think there's probably honestly something to the cards that got warped that are probably for you and maybe looking at that might be important. Julie says, hi, Lindsay. Um, what steps do you take when you draw a card or cards that just do not resonate or that you, with you or that you can't understand the link between? I know it's important to sit with the cards and wait for something to bubble up, but what do you do if you feel you can't connect the dots? Just pull a clarifying card? Totally, Julie, you can do that. Another thing that is powerful for me, because this happens to me sometimes, where I pull a card and I'm like, no. Because again, like I have a very strong practice where you know, I truly believe in the sacredness, but I'm still a fucking person. So sometimes I pull a card and I'm like, wow, that's not, you know, I will kind of like go off of my own rules and be like, oh, I pulled the wrong card. Or I wasn't connected enough and all that shit, you know? <clears throat> and then I deeply connect and I pull the same card. <laughs> so God finds a way no matter what, or spirit finds a way. Um, you can sit with a card, a clarifying card really helps. And I would also say it's a good experiment to put it back in the deck and see if you pull it again. And sometimes for me, I have to do that. And then it, it honestly, nine times out of 10 comes back up and then I understand. And sometimes I have to sit with my journal and be like, oh yeah, like, yeah. And the key is when you get it, is that it might not have been what you asked about. Like sometimes, um, like this is an example that's kind of not connected, but it also is that sometimes I'll go to my deck or my, to my guides and, you know, I'm like ready to bring something down and in and I tune in with them and I hear from them, go eat breakfast. <laughs> so like sometimes I'll go in for a big question about, um, 
you know, project I'm working on, I pull queen of pentacles. And it, it, for me personally, it's my guide's way of being like, nourish yourself first. Is there something you need? Then come back to this question. Like, why are you allowing this to happen before breakfast? So, um, sometimes they skip ahead and they just go right to the heart. Cause that's the point when we are really using the deck for soul, like the guides tend to weave their, their way into the card. So sometimes, um, if you don't immediately understand it, it can help to journal clarifying cards. Great. But also really let the mind open and be like, maybe they're speaking on something that I'm not even thinking about. Like maybe there's something here for me that is completely not what I was imagining. And it's important for me to honor what might be here. Um, Genevieve says, hi, Lindsay. I recently went through a couple of really tough months physically, emotionally, and spiritually. During this time, my daily card draws and my larger readings were incredibly upsetting and depressing. It got to the point where I stopped doing readings altogether and as I couldn't handle seeing another downer card. What should a person do when this is happening? Is there a way to approach or ask the tarot so you can receive a gentler reading? Thanks. Genevieve, more sympathetic I could not be to this question. Um, not all decks can, decks are legitimately like people. And if we like have something happen to us, God forbid, we go to the hospital, like emergency, we're not just going to call any old person to be by our side. We're going to call the ones who can like come to the hospital and handle us in that state and can hold that space. And even if they can't like hold that space, they can, they can hang with that level of energy. Some decks can't do it. And it has nothing to do with the deck. And some decks can't do it for us. Um, I was a user of the Mother Peace Tarot for years, uh, years. It was given to me when I was 21. And I used it pretty much up until last year. Um, and I made that de- made the decision to release the deck for a couple different reasons. But the beginning of my transition with using another deck, which, by the way, I didn't even make the conscious choice to use another deck. It just came into my hands and started working was because I was going through horrible physical issues and um, a major uh, transition with my body that was extremely frightening and very intense. And my deck could not follow me there. And I, I used the mother piece all through my experience with PTSD it's part of the reason like I even interpret the way I do because it opened me to so much. Mother piece is beautiful. Some people feel very strongly about it. They love it. Some people don't. Um, it really doesn't matter. We could be talking about any deck, but um, it could not follow me into medical problems, which was heartbreaking. And then later really it you know, felt out of alignment for me for a couple of reasons, but that was really the main one that I just couldn't follow me there. So it kept giving me the hardest cards and even, uh, cards that on the opposite kept handing me like the sun and these cards that I was like, you are not seeing me <laughs> in my state right now. Like just didn't feel seen. So it's really hard. So sometimes we have to consider like, is another deck appropriate? Do we need to call on another friend? Are we trying to get something out of a friend that just maybe isn't there to, and you know, again, this is just, I'm just talking about myself. Like some people I am positive have been carried through unbelievable physical issues and med- medical issues with the mother piece tarot. For some reason, it and I could not travel together in that realm. And I don't know why, but that could be that you're ready to bring in another deck. It could just be that you're ready to be in whatever you're in 
and maybe the tarot isn't meant to be an ally for you in this particular thing. It doesn't mean that it's not meant to be an ally, but sometimes we do have to kind of kick it without the tarot being present. Um, there are times when I kind of can't pull, I can't even like handle what I'm getting good or bad or, um, tough or, you know, sweet or sting. Like I just can't be with it. So yeah, like fucking normalize that shit. Like totally fine. Um, just try another deck or see what, uh, ask yourself what you really need and then maybe even purchase a deck for that purpose. So hopefully that helps. And finally, our final question of Ask Lindsay. Stephanie Cole says, hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's so healing for me. Thank you, Stephanie. I have a question about what to do with a tarot deck I'm ready to release. I forgot that this was, I was just talking about this. Like many people, I've accumulated decks over the years, most of which I still use. They talk to me in different ways and serve me in different moments, but I have one deck that, while it served me incredibly in the past, I feel I'm ready to let go of. I'm a big fan of donating or gifting things that no longer serve, but I'm not sure how to appropriately let go of a deck. Can I donate it, gift it? I don't want to pass on all the energy it holds to another, but it played a special role in my path and don't want to unceremoniously dispose of it either. Do you have any advice on this subject? Thank you so much for your work. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah, gifting, it's great. Like, think about who it might want to go to. Remember that it's my belief that tarot decks are self-cleaning. Um, and if we really use it in a way that's kind of like we have the best intentions and we're, you know, working within a way that is just like we're really bringing down the love and the and the deep work and even the shadow and all the good stuff. Like there can be a lot of energy in a tarot deck, but they they do love to be clean. I'm not suggesting not to cleanse your tarot deck uh, or to clear it or whatever. Um, but I do think that tarot decks um, do not carry uh, heaviness that could be transferred to someone else unless we really get a deck and we're like, whoa, this deck doesn't want to be with me. It doesn't want to work with me. It is possible that that could happen. I would say like um, my friend Amy Koretsky learned a way of cleaning her tarot deck of, of uh, like making the energy really sparkle. And um, she suggests putting the deck back in order from like the fool down and putting it basically on a windowsill. And I think she learned this from, mm, I'm so sorry that I don't remember that. She learned that from somebody, uh, Rachel Pollock, I think. It could be, it could have been someone else. I'll attribute it if I uh, get that wrong. But she learned it from someone who, um, it, a teacher, who just suggested simply to do that, which is a great way of cl clearing the energy of a deck without using like smoke or crystals and like just the, the light of the sun, you know, and the energy of the air. And, um, you know, you can do that and it'll reset itself. You know, it, it really will. It doesn't take much. And then gift it to someone who you think might enjoy receiving a deck from you, receiving a deck, ask your tarot deck where it like would like to go. Your tarot deck probably also wants to move on to someone else, not because it doesn't love you, but because it's I'm ready maybe to do work with another hand. So, um, definitely don't dump it, but, um, ask someone who might like to receive a deck from you and what the deck might be and just see who might be available for it. And, and I guarantee you the right person will come up in a way that feels really good for everyone. And that has been our first ever Ask Lindsay. And I really hope that served everybody. Um, what a joy. I can't wait to do this for you guys uh, every month. Um, 
It feels like a real gift to give this level of advice and hopefully it helps. Um, okay, so there's two uh, Lindsay's picks, Lindsay's recs for the week ahead. <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, I'm going to try to do little recommendations at the end of every Ask Lindsay for just like one or two things that I'm loving right now. Um, one of them is the 2019 Chroma calendar. So this calendar was created by two people who are very dear to me, one of them being Jessica Goldfond, uh, who's the founder of The Shiny Squirrel, who is one of my best friends and a beloved person in my life, and Nicole Pivarotto, founder of Iris Iris, who's a former um, mentee and student of mine, and um, who I work together in deep mentorship. <clears throat> who's also the creator of the Iris Iris Oracle deck and uh, many amazing projects. And Nicole and Jessica collaborated on this incredible calendar, which is a guide to the wheel of the year using astrology, color, and ritual. It's fucking amazing. And there will be a link. I, I don't get any kickback for that. I just really love the calendar. <laughs> I feel like everyone else would love it too. So if you're interested in buying one, um, again, I get nothing for telling you about this. I just really like it. I want to support Jessica and uh, Nicole. So there's a link to purchase it on um, my show notes. And you can also Google 2019 Chroma Calendar. And then um, I want to talk to everyone about uh, Asher Pendiris, who is a um, psychotherapist and amazing healer, caretaker, who is uh, a former mentee of mine, who again, is just amazing and who's has a lot of new offerings that I think a lot of people in this community would love and cherish and be very nurtured by. So I wanted to talk to you about them. Um, Asher is a queer identified parent, art maker, activist, someone living with chronic health issues, and a scholar of critical psychoanalytic and mindfulness-based theories. And they're passionate about working with people in healing professions, creatives, couples, the GLBTQI community. I'm weird with my letters. Sorry about that. And college students. And Asher is starting two new offerings that I think are just like life-changing. One of them is video psychotherapy. So for anyone who doesn't live in New York, anyone who is seeking the guidance and counsel of a queer identified, amazing practitioner who knows what it is to live in a body with chronic health, with, you know, just anything that you may be experiencing that feels like Asher could be um, a beautiful holder of space for you. She is and is incredible. And video psychotherapy, um, I've been working with my mentor, Michelle, over the phone for basically four years and have found it to be life-changing. I don't actually feel um, great about working with people in person. I don't like the fact that I have to commute backward and forward after enormous emotional labor and work. Um, and video psychotherapy is, it works. It's the same as distance tarot readings. And I think could be such a bomb to anyone looking for someone who works like this and is a therapist and they can work with Asher from anywhere in the world. So there's a link to learn more about video psychotherapy and potentially book with Asher. But something else that is so beautiful is that Asher is starting um, a psychotherapy process group in January called Living in This Queer Body. And it's limited to 10 people. And again, there's a link to it. Like Asher is amazing and has just come through their own transition of 
having worked in person with a lot of people being very burned out and having gone through their own process of realizing how much more expanded, good, and aligned it felt to serve people from distance. Um, I believe like it, distance work to me is very profound and has transformed both my process as you know, a a holder of space and also someone who gets their space held. And it just takes all the pressure off to like, look a certain way, act a certain way. Um, I get to be in my home, my cozy uniform, you know, like I, I get to have that. And there is something so beautiful about it. And I just simply like, again, I don't get any kind of kickback for telling you about Asher. I believe in Asher, um, believe that Asher's work is so deeply needed And, um, I know that as someone, I I get the question asked a lot, do you have a therapist that you like? And Asher is my 100% recommendation for anyone seeking a compassionate ear. Um, she is amazing. So there's a link to learn more about Asher. And if you resonate, I have a feeling that Asher is going to, uh, book up mighty quickly. So if you're feeling called, the link is there. Um, do I have anything else to say? My goodness. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might as well. I should have probably said this at the beginning of the podcast, but it's Mercury Direct today and New Moon in Sagittarius. Very powerful. Um, for anyone who struggles in Mercury shadow period, I, oh, captain, my captain, I will be there with you in those shadows. Uh, it's the hardest time for me. But what a joy to be out of uh, a retrograde. And I feel like the new moon in Sagittarius is just like really fucking powerful because Sagittarius, it, it's such, we're, obviously we're in the sign of Sagittarius and this is really the time in preparation for the transition from 2018 to 2019 to really set the intention. Like how do you want this year to feel? How do you want to be connected? Um, all of that is really available to us today. So I hope that it's a beautiful transition and transit for you. And I love all of you. And I will uh, talk to you, see you, connect with you next week, uh, which will be our first embodiment interview. And I'm so excited to do that. Uh, And until then, take care of yourselves.